Thank you for joining us today. This is Clint Byers, lead pastor of Forward Church. I pray this message blesses and encourages you. I hope it inspires transformative grace in your heart and establishes you even deeper in your new covenant identity in Christ. Now take a deep breath, become aware of God's spirit within you, and enjoy the message. Welcome to message number three of the Father's love for you. Um, We had a power outage at church uh, Sunday. So rather than cranking up the whole system um, at the church, I decided to just reshoot this uh, in my home office. I'm actually working on a studio so where we will be producing just a lot more content, a lot more short short content as well as uh, courses and just interactive discipleship tools. So pray for us as we continue to to put that together. But in this series, I'm talking about God's love for you and the past couple of messages. And it really kind of the the idea uh, that I'm I'm circling around is God's love is more than just an idea. God's love is more than just how he feels about you. It's more than just his intention toward you. Uh, It's an actual spiritual force poured out of that heavenly dimension into this dimension and the place that God's love gets poured from that dimension into this dimension is in your heart and one of the first things that it does is to make you whole bring you to a place of experiencing his blessings uh, assuring to your like Romans 8 says his spirit bears witness with your spirit that you are his child, you know, that, that's one of those active aspects of God's love being poured into your heart. And, you know, we talk a lot about God's love here at Forward and, and in this ministry, um, and it's not just basic and elementary, it's actually the very thing that God extends towards you that gives you strength. You know, his grace is that influence on your heart but it's almost as if God moves towards you in love and as it becomes active in your heart, it's grace, it's that power, it's that strength. But God's love is more than just an idea. You know, you think about the natural laws, you think about gravity and strong and weak nuclear force and electromagnetic uh, energy and the standard model of physics. And of course, we've talked a little bit about quantum physics where there seems to be a different set of physics on the, the quantum level, the small level. A lot of people I've seen uh, talk about quantum knowledge, quantum physics, quantum mechanics from the perspective that like the quantum realm is the spiritual realm. I don't say that. For me, the quantum realm is just the smallest um, aspect of our seen realm. Even though it's so small, you can't see it with the naked eye. You have to use instruments. It's still observable. The spiritual dimension is not observable with scientific instruments, but we are connected to it and there is an energetic to it and there is a consistency to it. But those laws are higher than our laws. You know, in the last message, I talked about how Jesus operated according to spiritual laws that don't break the laws of our realm, but they supersede the laws of this realm. So. Jesus can do whatever he wants to with the matter in this world, even if it's living matter like fish 
or an organism like bread and he multiplies it to feed people and it nourishes people. It seems to come out of nowhere. He's not doing something that's impossible in terms of natural law. He's not breaking the laws of physics. He's just superseding them by a higher law. And in that realm, those laws uh, tend toward life and they're really, I think, the, the most pure form of what God is in that dimension, who God is, is love. I mean, it very specifically says God is spirit, God is love. It defines him specifically as love. If you could put the spiritual creative matter that makes up the being of God, Jehovah, and there's only one of them, he's the, the Lord God Almighty, but if in some way you could measure and, and observe the substance that he's made of. You know, you look at us and you find carbon and magnesium and all these minerals and everything. But if you were to look under a microscope to see what God is, it's love. Love in its purest form. Light, you know, supernatural, eternal life, energy. There, there's, there's ideas that we could use to develop that concept. But <clears throat> so... I happen to think that we're connected to that realm, that unseen realm, not microscopic realm, but unseen realm. It's a higher dimension that you have to be changed and enlightened or born again or made new by the Spirit of God through the cleansing sacrificial blood of Christ to be in that realm with God in His light. Otherwise, you would be destroyed or cast into outer darkness. We can't cohabitate with God. so. Uh, all that to say, God's love is more than just an idea or a feeling that He has for you. It's more than just the when he, it's more than just the emotion that when He looks at you, He thinks, "Oh, that's my child. Bless their heart. I sure do love them." No, love is an active spiritual energetic force coming into us because of our connection with God, having an effect. Now, how do you access that love? Well, you, you learn about it. You spend time worshiping him. You lift him up. You, you honor him in your heart. You develop a relationship with him. You trust him. You pray. You make decisions according to how he says to live. And, and it tunes you and brings you into harmony with living in connection with an agreement and open and receptive to receiving that love that he's constantly pouring out. So today I want to walk through this message that will help you tune your heart to God's love by the knowledge and the information that we're going to cover. And the, the title of this message, I'm calling it, God Doesn't Want to Judge You. God does not want to judge you. So as you hear this and as you grow in your understanding of what Jesus did for you, it causes your heart to be persuaded of his motivation towards you, but then also open to that powerful tangible aspect of God's love that's transformative and brings you to wholeness inwardly. So as you learn, the response should be becoming more open to God, becoming more whole and healed in our inner man. You know, your spirit's already perfect, but you want what's been done in your spirit through the blood of Christ to affect every other aspect of your being. You know, we are predestined to be conformed to the image. As you experience his love for you, that transformation happens and you become even more and more conformed into the image of Christ. So let's walk through several passages here talking about what Jesus accomplished for you, the judgment that he received and experienced on your behalf, so you don't ever have to be afraid of being judged by God. Now, I know that makes some people nervous, but just stick with me here. So 
last week or the last uh, message, we highlighted this particular passage. This is five, this is John five twenty, and and I don't have all the graphics. You know, like when we have our church services going, we've got um, our team that will display the graphics and scripture. So you're gonna have to actually break out your Bible, follow along with me. So this is John five twenty, for the Father loves the Son and shows him all things that he himself does. He will show him greater works than these that you may marvel. God wants to do good things for you just so that you'll marvel. And then it makes me think about this. <clears throat> Excuse me. 1 John 3, uh, verse 1. See what great love the Father has lavished on us, that we should be called children of God. You know, to me, that th those ideas are connected. God wants to do great things through Christ, and that it's so that you would see the great love the Father has lavished upon you through Christ. So to, to round out that John 5 selection, John 5, 20, for the Father loves the Son and shows him all things that he himself does. And he will show him greater than these that you may marvel. For as the Father raises the dead and gives life to them, even so the Son gives life to whom he will. Listen to this. This is so interesting. John 5, 22, for the Father judges no one. God is not judging anyone right now. God is not looking for nations to judge. He's not looking for nations to install poor leadership as some kind of form of judgment, contrary to what's the guy's name, Jonathan Kahn. I'm sure he's a I'm sure he's a wonderful human being. He's a fellow brother in Christ. I disagree with his theology and how he puts together ideas in terms of associating uh, the nation of the United States with national Israel and some covenantal connection there, and therefore we are subject to the national judgments that Israel um, experienced under the old covenant. That's not happening because Christ bore the penalty and the punishment for all of God's wrath towards sin. There is no judgment being poured out. He even says it right here. For the Father judges no one, but has committed all judgment to the Son. And what did the Son do with the judgment? He bore it and took it upon himself. Now, early in this message, I'll go ahead and say there, there is a final judgment at the resurrection when everybody is gone. It goes before the Father, the, uh, the great white throne judgment, and there's a separation of the sheep and the goats, and the goats or those who have not received the free gift of righteousness through Christ are cast into that lake of fire, never again to have the opportunity to be born again. Um, and then we who have received Christ enter into our eternal reward. So there is a final judgment, but it's not a judgment on sin. It's a judgment to determine whether you're righteous or not. And those are two very different things. Uh, lack of, well, let me keep going here because um, I've got another teaching on eternal and, and final judgment. But in, in under this new covenant, as Christ is inaugurating and initiating this new covenant, he says here, 22, the Father judges no one, but has committed all judgment to the Son, that all should honor the Son just as they honor the Father. And that's what the judgment is based upon, whether or not you honor the Father or, I mean, honor the Son, you receive Christ as having been sent by God and his sacrificial atonement on your behalf. That's what the, the final judgment is based on. So he who does not honor the Son does not honor the Father who sent him. Most assuredly, I say to you, he who hears my word and believes in him who has sent me has everlasting life and shall not come into judgment, 
but has passed from death into life. I don't know how you can say it more clearly. Shall not come into judgment. You don't have to be afraid of being judged by God. Now, you might realize, yes, Jesus took my penalty. Jesus bore the penalty, became a curse on my behalf. So I'm not going to be, you know, God's not going to send me to hell. Like, in other words, that might be the extent of someone's understanding of judgment. But practically in everyday life, I mean, so many Christians think that if you lose your job or you get a flat tire or a loved one dies, you know, God forbid, or something difficult or happens, or maybe you struggle with anxiety or depression and you, you view that as, well, God's allowing that in my life in some way that's some form of judgment because of, well, maybe I didn't pray enough or maybe I didn't give enough. And, you know, we don't, we don't rationalize it through that clearly. But what we do is, well, you know what? That door closed and I don't really understand why that door closed. You know, so whether it's either payback from God for something or, or maybe he's testing me to, you know, see if I'll trust him so that the next door, you know, if one door closed, God opens another, this whole God's controlling everything mindset. Or we look at, you know, something that maybe, let me make it as clear as possible. Maybe, let's say you wake up one morning, right? You drop your phone, phone and you crack your screen. Then you go out to the car and you back into uh, the other car in the driveway. And then on your way to work, you get a flat tire. And then you get to work and your boss tells you uh, he's got no Christmas bonus checks this year because of the economy. And one thing after another happens in that one day, a lot of Christians would say, um, what did I do to deserve this? As if it's a retribution for some kind of action or gosh, why is God allowing this to happen? Or what's the lesson here I'm supposed to learn? As if those circumstances are somehow ordained by God as some form of judgment in your life because we say, well, what did I do for this to come upon me? You know, we say it all the time. Let me keep going here. Jump to John chapter three. And this is where uh, Nicodemus, who's, you know, one of the Jewish scribes who, really should have recognized Jesus. And, and he's trying, he's, you know, he's asking questions. He's coming to Jesus. He knows the scripture. He's thinking, well, I mean, kind of, you know, I know that the Bible said the, the scriptures, the Torah and the prophets say this about the coming Messiah. He seems to be, you know, fitting the bill in, in some ways. Let me go speak to him. So he, but he goes at night, he goes in secret and he has this conversation. It's, and it's the famous conversation where, you know, Jesus reveals to him, you must be born again. And he's talking about, uh, you know, receiving the spirit of God, believing in Christ, becoming a new crea- a new creature, new creation. <clears throat> and here in, in John 3, 14, Jesus gives a... It to So we look back at it and we realize, oh yeah, that's a no-brainer. Christ was died on the tree, died on the cross for our sins, you know. But for them to discern that, you, you got to realize most of Israel had a Herodian mindset. 
In other words, they were waiting for a conquering king to come in and overthrow Rome and set back up the nation of Israel as God's chosen and blessed people on the earth to rule the nations. You know, that, that promise all the way back to Abraham that God would so bless Israel that they would then be a blessing to all the world. But they get to rule in the process too, you know, with the sons of thunder that ask Jesus, uh, when, when will you restore Israel? When will your kingdom come? You know, they're, they're not talking about the spiritual kingdom of heaven that grows in the hearts of people. They don't understand that yet. They're thinking a, a forceful military, political, dominating external structure ruling the world. You know, that's what they expected their Messiah to come and be. And he said, that's just not how my kingdom works. My kingdom isn't with outward observation. It's within. So Jesus describes and explains this beautiful prophecy about judgment uh, to Nicodemus. John three fourteen. This is Jesus speaking, and he says, And as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, even so must the Son of Man be lifted up. Now, um, well, let me just read all this, and then I'll comment. Uh, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. For God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. So John three fourteen, when Jesus is talking to Nicodemus and he's explaining, um, to help you understand, uh, the Son of Man must be lifted up like the serpent was lifted up in the time of the ancient Jews fresh out of Egypt, which is covered in this passage here. This is Numbers 21, verse 4, uh, verses 4 through 9 talking about the Israelites after being delivered from Egypt. Then they journeyed from Mount Hor by the way of the Red Sea to go around the land of Edom, and the soul of the people became very discouraged on the way. So their hearts were discouraged, and then this happened. And the people spoke against God and against Moses, Why have you brought us up out of Egypt to die in the wilderness? For there's no food, there's no water. Our soul loathes this worthless bread. You know, and they're talking about the manna. They're talking about the um, the, the the daily bread, essentially, that God miraculously manifested on the ground that the Israelites went out and every day, twice on, what, twice on Friday so that they wouldn't have to work to pick it on um, the Sabbath so every day they had plenty of food and they had plenty of water because that giant rock that the water poured out of fed them. Now, I would imagine you'd get tired of eating the exact same thing every day for 40 years. Uh, of course, there were also birds that they were eating that God sent them at times. But um, they're complaining. They're, you know, so they're, they're covered by a cloud by day. There's a fire at night that all they got to do is follow the cloud, follow the fire. It protects them, keeps them warm, keeps them shaded. Their clothes are not wearing out. They're not sick. Not, not a single person among them is sick for 40 years. But they loathed this worthless bread. <laughs> I mean, you know, we, we look at them and it's easy to judge them, but we would do the same thing. Verse 6, So the Lord sent fiery serpents among the people, and they bit the people, and many of the people of Israel died. Now, that is a judgment. Thankfully, we are not under this covenant any longer. 
God is not sending fiery serpents any longer because under the old covenant, you can look at Deuteronomy uh, 28, where the blessing and the cursing is outlined for the old covenant, the Mosaic covenant. And that type of covenant did come with curses. So Israel had to uphold their part of the covenant, which ultimately ended up being like 630-something laws or 613 laws. I get the number mixed up. but So if they kept all those laws and did everything right, there were all these blessings that came with it. But if they broke the law, there were curses with it. And so they would have to offer blood sacrifices to... Um, atone for the sins to not receive the curses. But in this situation, they weren't offering sacrifices. And the Lord, the, this, this term fiery serpents probably means poisonous snakes and killed people. Verse seven, therefore, the people came to Moses and, and said, so, you know, your flat tire, your job loss, your pay cut, your anxiety, your depression, even the loss of a loved one or a sickness is not a fiery serpent from God to judge you. We're not under that covenant anymore. Jesus bore our uh, judgment. He was cursed on that tree for us. Every single curse that came with the old covenant was put in Jesus on that cross. And a new covenant was inaugurated that's based on better promises. There are no curses under the new covenant. Even if you don't keep all the laws under the new covenant, which are love God, love people, essentially, um, th there's no curse for you. There, there, you're not, and you don't lose your salvation for not keeping new covenant law. Verse seven, therefore the people came to Moses and said, we have sinned for we have spoken against the Lord and against you. Pray to the Lord that he take away the serpents from us. So Moses prayed for the people. Then the Lord said to Moses, make a fiery serpent, set it on a pole. And it shall be that everyone who is bitten when he looks at it shall live. So this is a miracle. This is a type and a shadow of looking to Jesus and your death being removed from you. And for them, it was physical death, but for us, it's spiritual death. Jesus died in our place, so we won't face the second death as described in Scripture. Um, so verse 9 in Numbers 21 to wrap up this story. So Moses made a bronze serpent, put it on the pole, and so it was, if a serpent had bitten anyone, when he looked at the bronze serpent, he lived. So that's a type and shadow of Jesus being lifted up on the cross. And as we behold him and believe him and put our faith in him, our death is transitioned to him. And not just our death, but the penalty for sin, the judgment from God, the wrath of God toward our sin placed on him forevermore, never again to be put on you. God is not holding your sins against you. God's not keeping tally of where you've messed up to do weird little things in your life, sending fiery, poisonous little snakes in the form of circumstances to judge you. It's just not happening. So let's keep going because um, you, you may have heard this uh, tweak of John 12, 32, but I want to frame this in proper context. Just, you know, what are we talking about? We're talking about you understanding what Jesus did for you in his death when he was on that cross. He took your judgment so you never have to be afraid of God judging you. It's very simple. John 12, 27, let's start here. This is Jesus 
uh, nearing the end of his life. He says, now my, and this is, it's just, it's just before going into Jerusalem to allow himself to be arrested. And he knew what was coming. Uh, John 12, 27, now my soul is troubled. And what shall I say? Father, save me from this hour. He's like, should I, should I pray that? Should I say? And, and later on, he did ask God. Three times he prayed in the Garden of Gethsemane. Lord, uh, let this cup pass from me. You know, I'm, I'm not feeling it, essentially. Put it in modern vernacular. Jesus is like, I'm, I don't know about this, God. I, I, don't, I don't know. I don't think I really want to do this. I don't, I don't really want to go through this. If there's a different way, please. If there's a different way other than me going to the cross, and becoming sin and bearing the penalty of sin for the whole of the world. Let's do something different, but nevertheless. So Jesus is like, my soul's troubled. Well, what am I going to do? Like, what am I going to do? It's for this very hour that I've come into this earth. So he struggled. He was tempted to not go through with it. But for the joy set before him, he endured the cross. And, and you are that joy. Uh, but he says, but for this purpose, I came to this hour. Father, John 12, 28, Father, glorify your name. Then a voice from heaven saying, I have both glorified it and will glorify it again, came. Uh, Therefore, the people who stood by and heard it said it had thundered. Others said an angel had spoken to him. Jesus answered and said, this voice did not come because of me, but for your sake. Verse 31, John 12, 31, incredibly powerful passage that I hope you personalize and take deep into your own heart to, to assure yourself of God's love for you. And as you understand the depths of what Jesus did for you that he's about to describe here, you become even more convinced of God's love for you, and then you allow that spiritual force of love to have an effect in your life. You know, if you're struggling with fear, anxiety, depression, or maybe in dating, you keep dating the same broken person over and over and over. They just happen to be in a different body. You keep repeating the same destructive sin habits and cycles and patterns. God can heal you from all that stuff. God's love can bring you to such a place of wholeness where inwardly you desire nothing but holiness and righteousness to live uprightly following him. And nothing in this world distracts you and nothing in this world draws you away from him. You actually can live that way, but it's you got to let God's love make you whole inwardly. And taking this understanding of God's uh, judgment on Christ for your behalf, it's just one of those things that you can meditate on and understand. God, look at this great love that God has for me that has been displayed in Christ, that then has an effect within me. I pray that this touches you deeply and it doesn't just give you goosebumps and you don't just feel good, but it changes who you think you are inwardly. It changes you at your deepest core in those areas where you make decisions out of your heart beliefs so that you thrive and you don't repeat destruction and, and you don't always feel like you're lacking something. And you don't feel like your spouse is letting you down and therefore, because they're not doing this, I'm not happy. Nobody owes anything like that to you. You have to let the love of God fill you up to the degree that nothing in the world can tip you over. 
and and then in relationship and I'm just thinking about some conversations I've had lately with people about relationship when you know God's love for you and you're shored up in your identity in Christ and you are rock solid your root the roots of the beliefs of your heart are deep within God's love for you when you look at other people that you're in relationships with especially your spouse you can then enjoy the beautiful things about them. You can look at them, accept them for who they are, and enjoy a thriving, happy life. Now, you know, that, that's all things being equal. That's if they're following Jesus and they're living a healthy life themselves. Obviously, if they've got brokenness and destruction that's causing pain in your life, that needs to be dealt with. But I'm saying in general, you don't have to look externally to that spouse to give you a sense of meaning. So many people are searching for a deep sense of meaning and purpose and they're looking for it outwardly and they're disappointed and then it gets it gets projected onto the people around them. I'm talking to somebody right now. You're, you, you are doing this to your spouse. Because of your emptiness and brokenness and lack of satisfaction and lack of, of a sense of meaning inwardly, you're projecting onto your spouse uh, the, 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 you know, the idea that it's because of them that you're unhappy. But if you were to actually be whole in who you are, you'd recognize this is a great person. This is a person is a blessing from God in my life. So let's wrap this up here. This is John 12, verse 31. And now, now remember Jesus' conversation with Nicodemus. He said, the Son of Man must be lifted. He said, as Moses prophesied, or like Moses, um, the son of, like, like the serpent with Moses, the Son of Man must be lifted up. That's a type and shadow of judgment. So the context here that we're talking about is judgment. John 12, 31. Now is the judgment of this world. Now the ruler of this world will be cast out. And that's kind of a reference to Revelation 12, where... Behold, I saw Satan like lightning fall to the earth. Uh, when Jesus was judged, the accuser of the brethren was kicked out of heaven. The, the serpent is no longer approaching the throne of God, bringing accusation against you like we saw in the book of Job. That's not happening any longer. Jesus, with his own blood, cleansed that place that had been defiled. You look in Hebrews where it talks about Jesus ascending into the heavenly holy of holies with his own blood and cleansing it. Well, one of the things he did was cleanse it of the defilement of the accuser of the brethren against mankind. So, verse 31, Now is the judgment of this world, and the ruler of this world will be cast out. And I, if I am lifted up from the earth, I will draw all men or people unto myself. Thus he said, signifying by what death he would die. Now, verse 32, most of your translations will say, if I be lifted up, I will draw all men unto me. If you look at your Bible, that word men is in italics. Um, the word peoples is in italics, which if you know much about Bible translation, that means that um, it's not in the original language. And so therefore, the, at the discretion of the transcribers um, that, were tran that were translating, uh, the Bible from Greek to English or Greek to Latin to English or, or whatever particular translation you're using, whatever the process was there, they felt like the context was God would draw all men to him. 
But Jesus is saying, if I be lifted up, I will draw all judgment to myself. That's a better contextual understanding of the prophecy that Jesus gives to Nicodemus connected to the brazen serpent under the Mosaic Covenant in the desert with the Israelites, the, the serpent being lifted up. You know, the miracle was your death was transferred and that was a form of judgment. So the judgment of the snake bite against you from God, the penalty of it was then transferred to Jesus. The same exact thing happens with, I'm sorry, to the serpent, but the same thing happens spiritually with us. As Jesus is lifted up, we look to him, we place our faith in him. Our death, our spiritual death, that sin nature on the inside of us is lifted out of us and put into Jesus. He already bore it, but it becomes effective for you. The door is open, but anybody can receive it by grace through faith. So if I be lifted up, I will draw all judgment to myself, I believe is, is really the better reading. And then to solidify that idea, Romans 4.25, he was delivered over to death for our trespasses and was raised to life for our justification. 1 Peter 2.24, which then gives it even a little bit more of a nuance. So it's not just that he was judged and bore your sin so you could go to heaven. There's a real world now effect also which is he himself bore our sins in his body on the tree so that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. By his stripes, you are healed. Now, there's a lot of people that will say, well, that healing is just for your spirit and for your soul, but not for your body. In other words, you can't expect to be healed physically from disease or any kind of neurological or even emotional issue. You can't expect to be physically healed because that's not the kind of healing that Jesus took or provided for on the cross. And there are wonderful grace teachers out there that will actually say that. They write whole books about it. But, it, but it's, they come to that conclusion through circumstantial theology. It's like the, 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 the criticism would be, so you're saying that physical healing is guaranteed at the cross, which is kind of a weird language to say. That's like saying salvation is guaranteed. Well, salvation is received by those who believe. Just like healing, physical healing is received by those who believe. Now, I know that kicks a hornet's nest, but that, that's a whole nother conversation. But he didn't just bear your sin in his spirit and in his soul. It was in his flesh also, in his body. As it says right here, he bore our sins in his body so that you could experience bodily healing also. Yes, spiritual, yes, soulish, but bodily also. So how can we apply this now? The fact that Jesus was judged in our place and we shall not be judged for our sin, how's this active in your life today? Well, quit judging other people. Quit judging yourself. You know, it's like a three-step process. Quit being afraid that God's going to judge you or reject you because you keep making mistakes. Now, that's not to say that you just get a license to sin, should continue in sin, and your choices don't matter. They do. You know, sowing and reaping is still in effect. Um, you continue to sin, it's going to um, bear death and destruction in your life, but not as a judgment from God. Sin has its own effect. <clears throat> Let me have a little sip of water here.
Uh, so you don't have to be afraid of God judging you. You can quit judging yourself and quit judging others. A couple of two more selections here. First John two, First John two one. My dear children, <clears throat> sorry, I write to you so that you will not sin. So don't sin, don't sin, don't sin. <laughs> well, Clint, it kind of sounds like you're saying that uh, you know sin doesn't matter and it, and you can just live free from the penalty. You know, no, no, don't sin. Stop it. Stop sinning. But but let's keep going. First John two one. Don't sin. I write this so that you don't sin. Did you hear me? Don't sin. But if anybody does sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous one. Why? Because he's the atoning sacrifice for our sins, and not only for our sins, but for the sins of the whole world. So what he's saying is, don't sin. But if you do, don't be afraid because Jesus has already atoned for that sin. Man, I'm telling you, there's such freedom and liberty in that. When you really grasp what that means from a mature heart, you don't want to run out and sin. You're not looking for a license to sin. You know, a, a mature heart hears that and recognizes, oh man, I am so thankful for the kind of relationship that Jesus afforded me to now have with God. I don't have to be afraid of being judged by God for my sin. I don't want to sin. But if I do, if I make a mistake, I'm not going to be judged by God because Jesus already paid for it. Now, the immature uh, will continue in loose living, and the legalistic person is afraid that you're, you're going to make other people think that they're, they can sin. <clears throat> and it's like, grow up. Grow up and learn the Scripture if that's what you're actually thinking is going to be the effect of this. For me, and for most of the people that I've preached this stuff to, the response is, wow, yeah, wow, that lifts such a burden off of my mind and my heart, and a fear being afraid of God is gone. And it, and it makes me realize, man, I'm not, I don't, have to, I don't have to live under this microscopic, scrutinous eye of God that I thought was constantly watching me. You know, there's an old song, God is watching us. Sorry. Sorry for singing. <laughs> but if God's watching you, it's so that he can lead you into life and bless you, not judge you in any shape or form. Matthew 7. So this is the practical aspect where it then translates to us. And this is why you can not judge others because you live in the reality of not being judged by God. And man, if Christians would live this way, wow, 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 wow. Now, we don't compromise God's moral standard. We don't compromise God's um, sexual structure in terms of uh, marriage between one man and one woman. You know, love is not love. There is, a, there is a contextual truth to what love actually is. A lot of the perversion, a lot of the darkness that we're seeing in this world is kind of some, some progressive mindsets are saying, well, God is love, so therefore any kind of form of love is love. No, there's a truth. There's a definition to it. But in, in Matt, so, so even in recognizing when people are living contrary to God's natural order and natural laws and, and how he created the, uh, you know, <clears throat> human existence to cohabitate with each other, 
We can still live according to what's described here in Matthew 7. And this is red letters. This is Jesus teaching. This should be the practical fruit of understanding and knowing the judgment that Jesus experienced for you. Matthew 7, verse 1 through 5. Do not judge, or you too will be judged. For in the same way you judge others, you will be judged. By who? By others, not God. And with the measure you meet, it will be measured to you. From who? From others, not God. Why do you look at the speck? And so then he, then he gives an illustration that he's actually talking about not judging others to not experience the judgment of others. Uh, why do you look at the speck of sawdust in your brother's eye and pay no attention to the plank in your own eye? How can you say to your brother, let me take the little tiny speck out of your eye when all the time there's a plank in your own eye? You hypocrite, first take the plank out of your own eye, then you will see clearly to remove the speck from your brother's eye. You know, when, when I read this, the visual is like, you got this big board, you know? You got this big board in your eye and you're walking around, boom, and you're bumping into people. You got, hey, wait, let me clean that, let me clean that speck out of your eye. But you got this big two by four sticking out of your eye, smacking people in the face. You know, your judgments are smacking people in the face. And they're looking at you and they're like, um, yeah, you're wanting to tell me how to live, but look at you. You know, that, that's, that is rampant. That, that is the main criticism against the church, hypocrisy. You know, you ask people on the street, what do you think about God? Well, you know, in general, people will say, ah, you know, God's loving. What do you think about Jesus? Yeah, loving, great teacher, whatever they say. What do you think about Christians? Oh, man, mean, hypocritical, judgmental. You know, I, I think the body of Christ is so judgmental because we don't, we don't internalize and live from the power of being transformed by God's love for us that comes from knowing the judgment of Christ on our behalf. It's an incredibly powerful thing to persuade your heart of God's love for you with this data set, with this information that's not just information, but the actual transaction that Jesus went through on your behalf to be judged by you. So I pray that, you know, you can, and I'll, Probably, you know what I'll do once we post this video, I'll post all these passages um, in a comment underneath the video. And if you're listening to this by audio, um, I hope you wrote those passages down. But I, I would encourage you to go and read through those and use them as a meditative exercise to evoke emotions of thankfulness toward God on behalf of what Christ did for you to solidify the fact that God is not judging you, that then strengthens you and empowers you to love others and not judge them, thereby the body of Christ walking uprightly and maturely, made whole by the love of God, not leading with judgment toward the world. And then we might actually have an opportunity to influence the world for the kingdom of God and show them just how great and loving our God is. All right, so that wraps up message three. Thanks for watching. And, um, you know, like and subscribe. Do all that stuff they say to do. We're really kind of trying to get the message out there more and more through all the media that we're putting out there. Um, you know, if you're watching this and, and, and maybe you're not a believer and you'd like to know more, you can go to our website, www.church.com. Uh, 
right on the home page there. We've got um, an article about Jesus and who he is and what he did for you. And it's just incredible. If you read that and you make a decision that you want to start following him and become a believer in him, reach out to us, let us know. And then I've got a website, clintbuyers.com, where I've got tons of free teachings. I mean, 80 something full teaching sets. That's hundreds of messages and lots of other tools and resources on there. You know, we're building out our forward school of transformation. We just really want to offer discipleship tools. And, you know, so if you got something out of this message, comment uh, on whatever platform you're listening in, or you can reach out to us at info at forward.church. We'd love to hear from you. We'd love to answer your questions or, you know, plug you into our uh, email system and just stay connected with you so that we can be a continual voice of encouragement and hope in your life. Alrighty. So Thank you for watching. God bless you. Love you guys.